Next up, a brand new episode of Double Feature. Hi. Hi. Ah, damn it. I missed one. I got so close. I actually put headphones in and then I just didn't plug them into the... Oh, yeah, it's this one. Hi. Hello. I got so close. Yeah, I, I'll believe it when uh, when we don't have to do a riff on octopus fucking for <laughs> the next 25 minutes. Um, you're a hard man to get on the phone these days. I Yeah, I've had a busy, I've had a busy couple of weeks. Yeah, it was it's like you've you've had a a busy week at the very least. Are you um, I, okay? Yeah. You sound okay. I'm, I'm. Yeah, no. I mean, I sound okay. Uh, I don't have any <clears throat> COVID. I had COVID. Yeah, um, so, this is but, past tense. Well, I mean, I still have it. You know, testing positive, but you know. But I just gave you the sound test just now. And I, I said right. you didn't sound like yes, you had so it. I don't sound like I have COVID, so now I can take my mask off and we can hang out. That's why we canceled um, the free government test because you can tell by sound so, now. Yeah, I uh, so I went to a I went to a music festival that I had like this whole gag for. Um, I was, we were going to do like this whole gag uh, where I kept you kept calling me during loud metal sets. Um, not like a metal guy, but every once in a while, a metal festival. That's like all the metal you need. And uh, I think that's actually and, the tagline of the festival. I think it is. Yeah. Um, but uh, it's just by, like a big nutritional label with all the bands on it. These are free marketing yeah. ideas. I'm just throwing out by here. the by the end of the third day of this four day festival, I started feeling a little little not so good, and then by the end of the, the fourth day, I felt real not so good, and um, yeah, it turns out I had uh, COVID nineteen. Um, if you're familiar, and ah, yes, uh, the deadly coronavirus. I've heard of this. Yeah, so it's baby's first COVID, and uh, I was like quarantined in a room because I didn't want to get anybody else sick. Um, up until today, actually, I'm I'm sitting in my living room instead of in my uh, laying in my bed. Well, I'm happy you're still alive. Yeah. I um, mean, I might be. This could be. Maybe I died in Kentucky, honestly. Yeah, I, I have a, a full archive now of uh, just random theater employees who uh, don't want to talk to me about Lady Terminator. So, you know, just in yeah. case things don't go well, uh, <laughs> I'm ready to release my all Lady Terminator, uh, you know, tribute show or whatever. Beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah, I want you to know that if you die before me, whatever show we are going to do, that's the planned memorial show. Okay. So, yeah, yeah, don't fuck it up by, like, say, dying before Robotrix or something, you know. Yeah, that's fair. Try to, uh, <laughs> try uh, to plan a I good one. I keep it together at least that long. Uh, yeah, so we had, um, we've, we've had, like, four show ideas since, uh, uh, since kind of landing on this, and I want people to know that this is genuinely, I, I wanted to keep this spontaneous, and this really is the kind of show idea that we had like two days ago. Yeah, no, we had, so we had, um, we had a number of ideas. I have this other idea that involves doing that new Rob Zombie movie with the sequel to that witch movie from the 90s, which maybe we'll get to. Um, but in true form, yeah, we were kind of going back and forth via text while I couldn't speak. 
And well, if you think about the movies too long, then you get too good of a show together. You'll lose the spontaneity. So I wanted to keep the why the fuck are you even talking about these random movies? Uh, right. You know, which I wanted the credit for uh, keeping it spontaneous, but it really is the easiest thing to do because the latest thing is what's on my mind. And, yeah, uh, well, so... It's really just the fortitude of doing a show about Lady Terminator and Robotrix that is... Yeah. You know, that's the commitment piece. It's, it's funny for me because Robotrix, you were like, have you seen Robotrix? And like did a did a cursory search and was like, oh, that's like not a thing that's just buried somewhere. Okay, so that... And I saw it was like 91. Okay, don't know what that is. Flat out. Didn't, didn't know. And then... Um, and you were like, I don't know, we're a Botrix. And I was like, and this is true. Uh, I was like, what about Lady Terminator? Which is a movie that I'm confident I am like the only super fan of. In so much that I spent like $50 to get this shit on DVD. Um, <laughs> you are definitely the like, only one who paid $50 for that DVD. I, and anytime, anytime, like, you know... Anytime people want to talk like fucked up movies or weird movies nobody's ever heard of, I'm always like, yo, Lady Terminator. And they're like, no, not that one. Let's talk <laughs> right, about right. something else. Let's talk about the one where, where everybody eats feces. And I'm like, that's sure. I mean, everybody's seen that. But can we do the Lady Terminator thing? Pop. And it's pop at this point. You want the real, yeah. the real bottom of yeah. the uh, bargain bin exactly. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Lady Terminator um, was funny that you mentioned that because not only had I seen it, but I'd seen it recently. Mm-hmm. And that just seemed too serendipitous to pass up. Yeah, like, why weird. the fuck did I just yeah. watch Lady Terminator? So bizarre. I fucking, I think it's one of, like, when when you get to what the fuckery in, in cinema, um, it's sort of like, I don't like to think of it like a spectrum because I think a spectrum is fluid. I think of it more like um, it's like plateaus, right? It's like going down a ladder and everything sort of lives at a level and then you jump down a whole floor and you're like, oh my God, okay, this is a level of what the fucker. So like my like my like home base of what the fuckery is like is like an evening with Beverly Loughlin or Greasy Strangler or, um, you know, things like that. Uh, uh, I almost said Kubo, but what's the uh, Kuso? Is that what it yes. was called? <laughs> yes, um, Kubo, different movie, uh, and neither of which are Cujo, by the way. Yeah, and so I uh, I live in I just like constantly, you know, you and I have talked about this a million times, but like what I look for in cinema as somebody who is basically like, um, like. Uh, dirty shame level looking for new sex act because I've just done everything. Um, I'm I'm looking for movies that are doing something that I've literally never seen before. Like when Fried Berry landed on Shutter, and I was like, this is just a movie about an alien that has an orgy. Uh, or Society, great example. Just like movies that like you watch and you're like, I mean, I don't know if this is good or bad. That's really not the point. Uh, definitely never seen it before. Um. And Lady Terminator, man, like what's funny about it is that it is called Lady Terminator because it came out as a uh, ripoff, an international ripoff of the Terminator phenomenon, the Arnold phenomenon, which was actually this massive. So um, allow me to digress and interrupt me. 
if you get bored or fall asleep. I, I should interject yeah. once because we haven't, and I've just suddenly become uh, aware that while this is a phone call, it's not really a phone call, it's a podcast. Right. I think you and I, you know, we wanted to talk about the international ripoff and, yeah. uh, and Category 3 a little bit, which is, you know, which is new to me, mm-hmm. and talk around, I mean, we're not going to spoil the movies, that's what I'm, what I'm getting at. And also, maybe that you don't even really... Uh, don't say it. I hesitate to even name these shows after the movies anymore. Yeah, you know what right, I mean? Right. <laughs> That's kind of what I'm getting at. It's like, yeah. if you haven't seen Robotrics and or Lady Terminator, I mean, the, this conversation might be more for you than if you had. It's true. Yeah. So yeah. That, that's my only interjection. Great. So to go back to what I was saying in the 80s, um, when uh, when Schwarzenegger and Stallone were like in deep competition in the box offices. Um, recently, you sent me a TikTok about "Stop or My Mom Will Shoot," like some trivia about. Oh how, yeah, yeah, yeah. Some trivia about how Arnold's people like made it seem like he was considering it so that Stallone would fucking commit suicide on it. Um, well, yeah, because they were in funny. such a rivalry that if one heard that the other team was circling a movie, they would try to get the role. Yeah. So basically, like, punked him into doing a movie he didn't want to do. So funny. Um, so, uh, so during all of this, you know, Terminator and Rambo are sort of like the two that are fueling it, but there's also Cobra and Commando and Predator and Over the Top. You know, basically all these movies that you can, like, picture the, uh, the posters where it's essentially mm-hmm. just like a god shot of Stallone or Schwarzenegger. And then, you know, random violence. Um, and so it was going on internationally because the, the, there wasn't like international uh, laws or even like, like playing rights, streaming rights, screening rights. That wasn't going on yet. So internationally, just like we know with Dawn of the Dead, right? You can just be like, this is a sequel to this, or this is part of the same universe, or this is the same character. In so much that... Um, they actually started, they conscripted Frank Stallone, who is Sylvester Stallone's brother, overseas to start doing rip-off movies of his brother's movies. <laughs> that's, that's amazing. It's, I didn't know Absolutely that. true. You should look up some Frank Stallone titles. Um, but uh, so Terminator comes out. Every country wants to do a Terminator movie. But the reality is uh, Terminator is a hard movie to do. Turns out James Cameron makes complex cinema. And... Um, so a lot of what ends up happening is it's in name only, or honestly in poster only, you know, when you think of, um, one of my favorite things cinematically in the eighties and nineties is seeing international posters for American movies where it's like hand painted, you know what I'm talking about? And it always looks kind of weird. Um, Which when I was young, I did not realize it was not a photo. Right. So that worked on me up to a certain age for sure. Um, I remember there was a spot, there was a, there was a, um, there was a Turkish restaurant in Chicago in Ukrainian village when I was living there and all of their walls were just Turkish ripoff posters of like Charles Bronson movies. Oh my God. Amazing. It was, I, it was amazing. I like if, if, if it's still there, I want to go back and just buy their walls. Um, but, uh, so lady Terminator is this, uh, I believe it's Indonesian 
Can you fact check that? Yeah, I think it is Indonesian. Okay. That's what I was prepared to say anyways. I was going to ask you though. So So that's an overlap. I'll count that as an overlap on the diagram. So Lady Terminator is this like Indonesian movie that's like, what if Terminator was a hot chick? And that is where the similarities fucking end. Um, Mm. She wears black leather um, and she's so... I don't want to just enough for the poster, right? It's like just enough for the, there's there's one picture with an assault rifle and that's like, yeah. yeah. And, uh, so in Terminator, I'm not going to spoil it, but the Terminator is, um, he's most people know this, but he's a robot. And that's really, in my opinion, the primary contingent for making a Terminator movie. You can do whatever the fuck else you want, as the franchise has shown us. Um, but you need robots, you know, AI, right? That's like the whole bag of the Terminator franchise. So um, Lady Terminator instead goes, what if, hear me out, goes, what if, instead of AI, an alien crawls up a hot chick's vagina and now she's the Terminator. At which yeah, point, this a, is there's this There's a little more like extra kind yeah. of uh, creep so, to it. This takes me back to what I was saying at the beginning of the conversation is is with that one phrase, with that one premise that they're that they're postulating right at the top of the movie, I immediately go, okay, listen, this is not a Terminator movie. I feel like you baited me into something. However, I'm willing to see how this plays out. And that is that is the fundamental, like to me, that is one of the reasons I love Lady Terminator, like above most exploitation, because it goes, it's Lady Terminator. Your brain goes, I get it. You sit down, it goes, it's not Terminator. And you go, you have still managed to hook me for the next 90 minutes. Do you remember when you first became aware that there were these kind of, you know, like international knockoffs? Uh, I think it was around the time I discovered this movie because this was back in um, back way back living in Chicago when I was still um, like deep into the pirate bay where you could like find <laughs> this shit, you know, I've heard of this. Yeah. Um, it was like it was like but way, well before streaming and well after the demise of Blockbuster. Um, so like we were in we were in a limbo that to be honest, isn't as bad as the one we're in now where you were really at the mercy of like what you could find, um, in bargain bins or in local video stores. Um, I'll tell you where a lot of, a lot of the gold mining happened in this era was the used section of like FYE, Sam Goody, as those were going out of business. Like that's where you could find like some weird shit, some like, like below full moon shit. Sure, but I also found that there was a lot of stuff that they just, you know, they were not uh, interested in. You know, like they would not take you. I remember this more on the music side, but when I eventually went, uh, went like all digital with all my music, all my movies, it happened first with music, obviously, because it was just easier. Mm -hmm. And I remember taking a bunch of music that I thought was so huge. And I took it to whichever fucking one was in the Stratford Square Mall. Uh-huh. And there was so much of my music that they had never heard of, mm-hmm. which I could not fucking believe. Mm-hmm. You know, that was, I mean, the the real, I'll skip ahead to the theme here today, but what 
really kind of blew my mind open about this is how much more of an international cinema we truly have today right. than we did when we were younger. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I was living on the internet. I was really into this this handful of, like, synth rock bands. Mm-hmm. And I thought all these things I had were, like, <clears throat> excuse me, like, treasures, right? They were, right. and to me, they were. But, mm-hmm. you know, to have to have a true person, like, outside the bubble of hype go... Yeah, we don't want this. No one cares about this. Right. <laughs> it's like I know it right. sounds really depressing, but it was actually like I, I didn't even really realize what that meant. And so I think there was a gap even there with um, especially international releases mm-hmm. because to an American audience, you know, they would rather they would rather take on the one hundred millionth copy of you know Titanic Pine for their. 17. Yeah. yeah, exactly. For their Titanic wall of look how many used copies of this yeah. we gave kids nickels for yeah. than they would in an international release. Right. Yeah. It's funny too, because as that, as that shifted um, and those like physical copies of international movies, like as people started to realize the value to these. So, you know, like I mentioned, I paid $50 for Lady Terminator on DVD. Lady Terminator on Do you DVD. remember, was that like Boutique or eBay or... Oh, I got that shit off like eBay, yeah. yeah. It was like I had to find it. Because eBay but was like, interesting I, too because the, the cinema was now accessible to us, but you kind of right. had to know what you were looking for. Exactly. You can't yeah. just go click on like new weird right. movies and, and, yeah. and because so, it and, was not as easy as rummaging through a literal right. bin. And, and so like the filter the technology, yeah. totally. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Because the whole energy, the whole energy there is like you just did a you just did a search for Lady Terminator fifty fucking dollars because I know you want this shit. Um, well, and also but, typing the words "Lady" and "Terminator" probably did not yield this to the top of the results for sure. So no, even you if you knew yeah. what you were looking for. Some things, you know, search technology was just... The Sarah Connor Chronicles Season 2. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the searches were just terrible back then. Yeah. And they've gotten terrible again for different reasons. I also remember on the same subject, something that was super cool. It's basically, it's basically the opposite of the experience you're describing when you dropped your music off. Uh, I went into a half-price books um, a little later than this, maybe three years after four or five years after. And uh, I found a copy of a Serbian film in their like, like clearance section, not even the used section, but the like clearance section for $3, a Serbian film. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I took it up to the counter. <laughs> the good movies were always $50 or $3. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I took it up to the counter and uh, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to buy this. You know, thinking like, I feel like I'm getting away with something. Right, one because uh-huh. I'm buying a Serbian film, but two, it's three dollars. And the the guy at the counter, like, takes it from me. He goes to scan it, realizes that it doesn't have a barcode because their clearance shit you have to manually enter. Uh, and he just like looks at it and he like pauses for a second and he just goes, "Man, someone really fucked up here." And I was like, I was like, I know. <laughs> and he was like, all right, well, congratulations. Because that shit, by that time, that shit was, you know, $40, $50 online. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, and some, that, and that's like what you crave as like 
as like a dirty film collector is you want to find the international shit that people have like overlooked. And again, that's where Lady Terminator lives for me. Because when I talk about Lady Terminator, when I asked you if you had seen Lady Terminator to talk about today and you Mm. said yes, I was (laughs) fucking mind boggled. I was like, no way. And, 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 and listen, this is, this is me with like the utmost respect of your viewing tastes and, and breadth. And I was surprised that you had seen it. Well, so, like, I have to credit my friend Heather Buckley for dragging me to this when mm. she did a intro at the Alamo Draft House. Oh, cool. And so this was pretty recently in Alamo. I feel like we're fucking plugging Alamo every <laughs> every damn show yeah, for a theater yeah. that I have like mixed feelings about. It's just funny that like you know, yeah, know this is this is basically where the positive part of the mixed feelings come from. Is I could sit here and intellectually come up with a bunch of reasons it's not as cool as the you know the New York theaters in the garage, but right. uh, <laughs> then I end up talking about my experiences there all the time. But yeah, so they brought back you know Weird Wednesday or whatever the fuck. Yeah. Love Weird and, Wednesday. Weird Wednesday is just a great spot to. I don't always go to Weird Wednesday, but just like looking up the programming of Weird Wednesday. Oh puts yeah, things for sure. in my mind, right? That's well, all that's take. that's another yeah. Quick side note: this is just a, a little treat for people listening and hadn't picked up on this yet. But find a city that you think has good cinema, and look up the history of what the theaters have played. Yeah, you know, just, and just do that shit. And Draft House obviously has Weird Wednesday. Not a bad place to start if you're into stuff like this. The theaters that I fucking talk about all the time, they all have calendars. The ones in L.A. had calendars. Yeah. And you could just see their programming and find cool things that way. Yeah. Like, let's, let's I mean, I'm not trying to call you out because maybe you are actually a more uh, evolved individual than me. But <laughs> Koyana Scotsy didn't just like show up in my mind as something I didn't like do a, a search for like non-narrative film top choices. Yeah, like yeah. the Roxy here had like a had like a 35 millimeter screening of Koyana Scotsy. And I'm like if the Roxy is showing something in 35 millimeter, this should be on my radar. Period. Yeah, so I just felt like in that moment it was freshly important to support the kind of like you know, a a major franchise theater bringing back movies no one wants to see, basically. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Movies that are not popular. Right. The movies that four people go to. But actually, and I mean, I guess this is a credit to Heather because it was all her friends who went, but uh, that theater was packed to see a Lady Terminator. I, if it had shown here, I would have been like fucking over the moon to see this shit in... A theater. But it was also one for me where, where I was like, oh, this will be fun because the the Terminator knockoff is the one that I kind of became aware of first. Yeah. And I learned about these much later. You know, when I moved to L.A. before I came to New York, there was like a big swap meet kind of uh, thing that would happen there. So that was the cool place to find like the real underground stuff. You have enough... You know, basically the swap meets don't really make sense anymore because it's easier to find and buy things on the internet. But, and also the just the demand is so low. But this is one of the things that was kind of cool about LA is there's enough people who just like the same stupid thing, the same stupid can't create a market for this, you know, unprofitable thing 
to right. get together and like pretend long enough to just make it worth doing. And so something like a VHS swap meet, it's like it doesn't really make sense. But if you have enough people who are doing it, it kind of just becomes like an event, yeah. a fun yeah. just thing to go do. Right. And they had so many titles. And you'd see this too when you went to like a Monster Palooza or any of the conventions. But there would be so many of these titles of Terminator knockoffs specifically. And, you know, you would see stuff from South Korea and mm -hmm. Africa, uh, fucking, you know, uh, Robot Holocaust mm -hmm. or uh, Terminatrix, Nemesis, Eliminators, like all these movies that were, some of them thinly veiled. They basically went two ways, right? They were either Terminator knockoffs that named themselves something else. Right. Or they had the name Terminator in it, and then they were just about the least Terminator right. <laughs> fucking thing you've ever, you've or ever seen. Or a very rare, very rare third option. It was a uh, it was a reversed actual version of just the Terminator print. They just yeah. reversed it. Sure. Where all the lefts were rights, and they're like, yeah, it's called uh, the Annihilators, and it's just actually Terminator, but they reversed the print. It's like some um, some YouTube algorithm. Uh, exactly. Avoidance, <laughs> kind of, yeah. Yeah, well, YouTube has become the new bargain bin, illegal swap, you know, like the number of for movies. Sure. Sure. So I, I do a lot of work for these different distributors, who are going back and trying to find like the people still alive from <laughs> repertory movies and go talk to them. And so, you know, I will go and, uh, and shoot these and sometimes do the interviews for these. And the, these companies have started creating their own YouTube channels and legally putting some of their cult titles, full movies on YouTube to kind of compete with the piracy. Sure. So you can go, I know Kino does this with Kino Cults. Uh, I think Severin has a channel for this now, maybe Arrow. But you can look these up and they will just have, you know, full movies, sanctioned, yeah. good copies. Mm -hmm. Almost ruins the fun to have too good of a copy, but right. uh, good copies on YouTube. But yeah, sorry, I feel like way down a beaten path. But um, No, it's, it's, yeah, it's crazy. Shocking Dark was, which was called Terminator 2 at this particular mm -hmm. convention or wherever, was the one where I, I literally had to pick it up and go, okay, so what am I looking at? Because mm -hmm. it's not the film Terminator 2 that I know. Right. And, you know, to try to figure out, and I think, I think that one came out in Japan as, uh, it's like, what is it, like Alienators or something like that? Do you know this movie? Right. I've, I think I've seen it. Yeah. It's Terminator 2, and the 2 is like a Roman numeral 2. Right, the Roman numeral 2. And right. I, I believe the director co-wrote Troll 2 or something like yeah. that. Yeah, this is this is the one. This is the one that is like it's like the dawn of the dead of the Terminator ripoffs, where you're like <laughs> the people involved are actually like not nobody, and it had an alternate title, and it's not Zombie Two, and right. it's not technically a sequel to anything. And yeah, all that shit. Yeah. Yes. When we eventually do our own contribution to this genre, we'll have to do like uh, like like Zombie with an I. We'll do Zombie Eight and a Half or something like that. Yeah. That'll be our. Yeah. Yeah, uh, but that Terminator, would be, that would be the, you're talking about doing like a hybrid, like Godard zombie movie. What? <laughs> Fellini, but yeah, basically. Fellini, yeah, sorry. 
I was like, maybe I'll just let that go. It's funny. Actually, we you don't know what's even... really funny is there's like a whole thing. There's like a whole thing where you could take any franchise, dude. You could take any franchise and just release it as like fucking Predator eight and a half and do a Fellini version of that franchise, and that would be just a funny fucking gag every time. It would, yeah, yeah. An eight and a half <laughs> version of anything is like a, yeah. a sort of like no one called for this. Yeah, and it's uh, it's highbrow, lowbrow. No matter what you do it with, Amityville eight and a half, Puppet Master eight oh and a half. Oh my god, it's so good. Evil Bong eight and a half. Looking for more double feature? Find nearly thousands of episodes at patreon.com forward slash double feature. Yeah, so this movie um, Robotrix is, you know, it's got a bit of a Terminator. It's got a bit of a RoboCop. Yeah. I found, uh, I wanted to have some RoboCop representation because oh, I RoboCop, feel like... that's right. That's another one that's right in this exact Oh, yeah. Place. Between yeah. Terminator and RoboCop, that's, and all the movies kind of end up being a little Terminator, a little RoboCop. Sure, yeah. My theory on that that's is basically spectrum, really, that it's... Is more yeah. Terminator, more RoboCop, yeah. And well, then, and RoboCop kind of plays... Yeah. RoboCop, I felt like, plays more into, I don't necessarily want to say tropes, but like sort of easy genres of cinema because it's just a cop movie, right? Right. And RoboCop obviously is... is I'm sorry, are you, call, are you accusing Paul Verhoeven of low-hanging fruit in the 80s? Well, that's the thing is when you watch actual RoboCop, not at all. But... <laughs> You know, you were talking about this with Terminator, why these movies don't represent, uh, don't resemble Terminator very well. Yeah. And it's because, you know, sometimes somebody gets an idea and everybody looks at it and goes, oh, man, why didn't I think of that? And we all make, you know, paranormal activity for 10 years or Blair Witch for 10 years. But sometimes somebody puts together an idea like Terminator and it's like, oh, good job. The only person who could have come up with right. Terminator, you know, for sure. Yeah. And so when a when a um, when another market tries to rip off the movie, that usually happens in a low budget space because they are skirting copyright in in some sense. They're just counting on the world, the movie like being so small, nobody cares. Mm -hmm. The world being so large, nobody cares. But when you actually go, okay, guys, we're all here to uh, show up and just copy Terminator. You look at it and you're like, oh, this looks hard. Whereas RoboCop, you're sort of like, oh, we do cop movies all the time here. Why don't we just like glue some stuff on his face and now it's a RoboCop ripoff. So that's why I just feel like RoboCop is so ripe for, so oh, yeah. ripe for this. And even if you try to do Terminator, sometimes you <laughs> RoboCop almost becomes like the, well, we were yeah. ambitious. We tried Terminator. We got to RoboCop. Right. And hopefully that's good enough for the, you know. The, right, the box, the cover, but yeah, Terminator itself was also um, sued for I think ripping off the Outer Limits. Great. So if you look, I'm pretty sure it's yeah because it's Harlan Ellison. If you look, it still has a credit to Ellison for I forget the name of the fucking episode. If memory serves me right, I'm going to make up some facts here for you. Great. But if memory cool. serves me correctly. They ripped off a couple of Outer Limits episodes and then basically settled on one, paid, and put the credit in for the episode. 
So the credit of Terminator credits somebody else for coming up with the idea, basically. Mm-hmm. And then when you look at it, it's kind of more ripoff of a different episode. Mm-hmm. But uh, because they'd already done the settlement, the official stance of the Terminator franchise is that the entire franchise is specifically a ripoff of this one specific episode and no other episodes. Yeah. yeah. So it's just kind of funny that they've like painted themselves into a legal corner of like bragging that it's a direct ripoff so as not to be right, not to have the suit like. They're like, no, 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 we put that to bed. Everybody knows it's a ripoff yeah. of just this one episode. Yeah. So Robotrix is, this was actually a movie I discovered because I was going to speak with uh, Vincent Lynn, who was in a couple of, actually, I mean, a good handful of these golden era Hong Kong movies. Uh-huh. And I didn't really know a lot about, you know, golden era Hong Kong. I mean, I'm sure you've seen more of these than I have. But uh, having spent so much time in genre and in horror and in the kind of like, like you um, you were talking about earlier, the the specific levels of what the fuck, mm-hmm. they're not just they don't just go deep, but they go wide. Right. So you know when you follow when you start seeing well, we talked about this a lot, but when you start seeing so many movies and really getting into like these sub niches, you sort of travel down one path and it tangents very much from like, I'm basically in a place where, you know, I've watched a lot of horror movies specifically in the seventies and I've watched a lot of French films and all of this has taken me very far from other genres. You might assume, you know, if you've seen horror movies from the eighties and you you own a lot of horror movies from the 80s that you would also know about some other genre, you know, mm-hmm. be it exploitation, be it, um, well, be it, you know, kung fu films, right? Right, right. But even though they're both considered like kind of genre, they divert from this, uh, you know, you look at the exploitation inspirations of Quentin Tarantino, let's say, and they all seem so clustered together, so similar. Right. And then as you travel down the the path and see, okay, well, what movies inspired these movies? And, and you know, maybe you follow like Asian extreme or other extreme genres. It actually takes you further from these other micro niches mm-hmm. or these other eras. And what I found surprising talking to Vincent was he introduced me to this idea of category three films, which I didn't know about. Right. Well, so before, before you blow the lid off of this for everybody listening, myself included, just to (laughs) just so that I can lay down what I understand of category three on the table is it's essentially like, it's essentially somewhere between like R rated and video nasty in China in the 80s and 90s, right? Yeah, well, I mean, that's the thing about it that's really cool is this is a story that is so similar to other types of cinema we've seen. Right. So, you know, you have... It's like when you study history, man. You know, it's it's just that oh, yeah. so many places on Earth have gone through the same thing, but because they went through mm-hmm. it at different times, seeing the differences between those places and going like, okay, so have we not had a French revolution here because we haven't had enough time or is it because we're all too lazy? 
you know, like, right. like what uh, we're seeing a lot of the events of, you know, whatever parts of history happen again, but this time it's different and why. And so I look at this with movies, you go back, okay, so, you know, this is one I've talked about on the show before, but you go back to DIY horror movies and the French New Wave. Right. And they're basically the same movement. You know, the French mm-hmm. New Wave you see again and again everywhere. Right. Yeah. And uh, you see, you know, e- the other countries will even call their, their movements new wave. But what happens? It's basically like the country doesn't have any cinema, and then it has some cinema that takes off, and then they capitalize on those cinema, uh, on that cinema by having, you know, giant companies that make all of it because they've figured out how to do it. And this is also like mm-hmm. just kind of economics for, yeah. for anything. Right. And then it's a monopoly. And then the monopoly gets fucking lazy because they don't have to do anything. See if this sounds familiar. Mm-hmm. And so a couple uh, streamers, I mean studios, I mean <laughs> a couple organizations make these, uh, just start making these things that are like rote content, you know? Right. They're just sure. like nothing of films. Yeah. Right. And the tools get cheap enough that you don't need to compete with a giant company, really, you and six friends can get together and make something. Right. And then just whatever interests the kids at that time who happen to have those tools and do this, they invent the new cinema. So this is kind of the story of New Wave, and we see this, um, you know, we see this with any country that that develops filmmaking. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think it's, I think it, I, I feel like, I feel like, um, you know, how, you know, how there's like in, in, um, anthropology there's like at what point did like this civilization become like this like stage two was when they were like using tools sure totally totally and i feel like i feel like you go from movies to cinema when you have a new wave right yeah totally movies and then it's cinema because suddenly there was somebody was doing it in in mind right on purpose right it gives it a little bit more intention well and even more so it's a rebirth i mean that's the key to it being the new wave is that somebody else was became like the de facto in control party they got lazy they were the dinosaurs there's time for a revolution right and we also see this same kind of ebb and flow with um uh extremity so when we talk about extreme styles and that one's a little more fractured it's a little more um uh, fragmented, I guess, because it also weaves in and out of exploitation. So, right. you know, when we think about like the Asian extreme films, are they exploitation? Well, yeah, in a bit. Are they genre? Sure, they're a bit of that. Is it, you know, a wave of horror films? Yes. But then it's also very particular to, I mean, in that case, I feel like very particular to the Japanese background, although we see it in other parts of Asia too. So, you know, the Category 3 thing is the same thing with ratings that we see in a lot of places. And I find that the ratings are interesting. You know, in the United States, we have the Hayes Code. We've talked about the Hayes Code a little bit. And the invention of our movie rating system. And then the uninvention of the movie rating system. Right. When you look at uh, other countries, you see, okay, so you mentioned Video Nasties. Video Nasties is almost like a satanic panic kind of, you know, in England. 
in the United Kingdom. I don't remember actually how far the video nasties reached, but the British government was essentially worried that horror films, it's like their tipper sticker, right? Mm -hmm. They're worried that horror films or bloody films, brutal action, violence, whatever, the word fun movies are, uh, it's like causing a moral panic and they ban them all. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so you get to, you get to look at with video nasties, like what particularly happened in England to cause that? Why was there a moral panic at the time? And, um, what happened as a result. And that's, that's the most interesting one in England because people like literally there were people that went to jail for the black market of distributing apocalypse now or what the fuck ever. Mm -hmm. So category three is one of those in Hong Kong and it follows, um, it follows a little bit of, of both of these kind of things. But what's interesting to me about category three movies is it sounds like some sort of banned cinema, but it's part of the rating system. Right. Yeah, that's what I mean. It's like more rated R than Video Nasty. Or yeah, like but, NC-17 even. But it's the... So what makes it particularly interesting is when you watch Robotrix and you go, oh, it's a Category 3 film, you look at it like, oh, it's a Video Nasty. It's mm-hmm. extreme nudity. A lot of these films had rape in them. They were also action films. They were also cheaply made exploitation films. So they they really do read like exploitation cinema. And actually a lot of the stuff we saw in Lady Terminator. So there's a lot of sleaze to the films. But uh, they were created after the invention of the rating system. So basically what happened is there's a kind of like... Uh, Hayes-esque societal pressure towards keeping cinema on the up and up. Right. Right. So the the good, clean cinema, there are certain things we don't do. And as guidelines would come out or just pressure from other entities, other forces, um, taboos, things of that nature, the particular things that you could or couldn't show in these movies, uh, they got pretty weird. I remember there was a point where Again, do your own research here. This is all like off the cuff, but one of the guidelines became we don't want realistic violence as uh, as associated with our cities. Right. So if you could remove the violence, it wasn't necessarily that you couldn't have the violence, but you couldn't like set it in modern day Hong Kong. So if you took that violence and you set it like in the Wild West... <laughs> And it was suddenly like you could do whatever the fuck you want and nobody cared. Right. You set it in space. You set it in, I think you could even set it in Hong Kong, but like in a different time period. And suddenly you could be beheading people and just doing right. whatever just nasty. Right. Yeah, right. So, you know, eventually this became like, oh, we can't do this. And these movies got cleaner and cleaner and the the, the cinema stagnated. And... At the same time, these ratings were created. And so the interesting thing about Category 3 to me, it was actually the creating of the rating that kind of took the shackles off. Interesting. Because suddenly, if you think about this, it's like, okay, there's these types of movies now. There's mo- whatever. The, it doesn't matter what the fuck the ratings are, but it's like there's there's the G rating. There's the anybody can see it. There's the like 
cover one of your kids' eyes, but let them watch it anyways rating. And then right. there's the like, hey, nobody go to this. And then finally there's category three, which is, oh, adults only. Right. But what that meant, with the way that, you know, you could see what the plan for this is, right? You just divide up all the things and then, you know, people will only go to movies that they won't go to the hardest movies anymore. But what what actually happened is that filmmakers looked at that and they went, oh, there's somebody taking the the bullet for us now. Right. Right? The the creation of the rating gave them cover because now you could put crazy stuff in the movie, sleazy stuff in the movie specifically. Yeah, as long as it was warned as opposed to like – it's basically, yeah, it's the difference between the MPAA and the Hays Code where the Hays Code was like no toilets – and the MPAA is if you show full frontal, it's going to get a mean letter. Right. Totally. Totally. And for some reason, that didn't have the effect here of the like mass proliferation of NC-17 movies. No. But there, Category 3 became like, I don't want to say a badge of honor, but it became this type of movie that was like, oh, so we're going to have Thought this after. type of movie now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It created a genre, really. Right. Uh, and especially one that in hindsight is now like collectors go after these and cinephiles really, you know, really like cool. category three is a yeah. list to be sought out just the way the video nasties are. Right. So, you know, one of the things in talking to Vincent, like what we actually spent a lot of time talking about is his work with Jackie Chan uh-huh. and um, doing, you know, Operation Condor and, and Tiger Cage and all these movies. But the culture of like how the movies were made at the time. And what really struck me was how spontaneous everything was. Yeah. You know, he would talk about people being written in and out of things, almost the way we talk about it on like soap operas or by season TV where somebody doesn't want to be in a show anymore. They get another gig. So they're like written out. But he was telling me about this time that he was on another movie and Chan wanted him for something. So he literally just came over to the set and told the director, kill him off in this next scene because, <laughs> because I'm going to need him. And, you know, they would just, so what you're watching in these movies is really like the kind of fly by the seat of their pants. It's a great tourism, really, because it's like, right. it's so whimsical. It's so um, spontaneous and of the moment. And we, oh, I feel, I feel like it would be better if it were like this or that. So, you know, he would talk about in that time living in Hong Kong that he would just get a call and some friends of his would go, oh, do you want to be in this movie? And that's how he wound up, you know, he's one of the three that, uh, that die in Robotrix. There's like this very, um, over the top, you could probably even look the clip up on YouTube, but very over the top deaths, exploding head type stuff. Yeah. And basically you just get a call and you go, Hey, you want to do this movie? We're going to do like one of these category three things. We're going to rip off Terminator or we're going to rip off Robocop Robocop. and it'll be a lot of fun. Uh, There's going to be full frontal. And, you know, I asked him about like, so in the culture, when these movies came out, was this shameful? Was it sleazy? You know, I remember for Lady Terminator that Barbara Ann was like kind of pissed that the movie because she thought it was for the local market. 
And when Lady Terminator was international, it was sort of like shameful in a way. Right. Yeah. Well, you know? because back in, back then, um, you know, cinema was, was decidedly American, you know? Yeah. Well, that that's what I was saying too about world cinema being, you know, like, I don't want to say we don't have it anymore, but you know, you do still like see triple R comes parasite. out. Like and... Parasite. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or triple right. R. Yeah. Yeah, but things are changing, right? It almost seems weird that Parasite is like a different category or something. You right. know, that these movies that we have like best yeah, well, movie and then like yeah, I was gonna some say, international it's, film. It's you can tell you can tell by like the the wokest people what they're getting pissed about. And like what they're getting pissed about right now is that in the Academy Awards there's like best American movie and then best movie from countries that aren't america right well, it seems so silly now and it's and best american movie there's 10 choices and best non-american movie there's five for the planet yeah yeah and it's supposed <laughs> right. to be like yeah no big no big no problem well yeah i remember uh when i first found out that like every country can just like nominate a film right and it's suddenly it's suddenly you know it, you just dismiss again this was like getting into french films you know there's 20 incredible French movies a year and it's basically like right so nominate one tell Americans about that one film and then it'll compete against every other country on earth and maybe people will hear about the French yeah. one every 30 years right uh, yeah which is just crazy but you know in the world getting smaller that was my point about Barbara Ann is she, she was it's almost like you hear about Americans doing TV commercials 20 years ago that oh oh Bill Murray will do the commercial in Japan because uh, nobody in America will see it. You know it's like shameful right. over here, but it doesn't matter because Japan might as well be on another planet since the cinemas don't talk. Right. And I thought it was funny just talking to Vincent about Robotrix because it was so much different than in Indonesia. Like they, I don't know if it's because they didn't think the movies would come out here. Not that you know a bunch of people living and working in Hong Kong would necessarily care about that. You know, that cinema was already, like, it's thriving to begin with. I don't think you were in Hong Kong hoping to break out during the Golden Age. Uh, Unless you were maybe, like, the top, you know, the top star. Like, that's obviously a huge move for Jackie Chan, but I mean the kind of, like, day-playing people who were in Hong Kong movies. They're making a living in Hong Kong. I don't know how many of them dreamed during that period of coming to the U.S., And so they were making these Category 3 films, and, you know, this is just one person's opinion, but no matter how baffled, you know, I was asking him about this, he would tell me again and again that there was no shame in it. People didn't care. It wasn't taboo. I mean, that's basically the thing, right? It's like, it wasn't Mm -hmm. taboo. Category 3 was not like, you know when an A-lister does a horror film or what, I don't even know that that's a stigma today, but you know what I mean? These like shameful, oh, you can't be in that kind of movie. What if people find out? Right. I guess a lot of that's going away. Yeah. No, it's all everybody. It, I think, I think generally like people are, it's, it's getting, you know, it's just like we talked about with music a little while ago. Like it's getting harder and harder to, um, to find the edge of things. Mm-hmm. Um, you and I talked uh, offline. I sent you um, this new, one of these new artists, one of the people that I actually saw in Kentucky. And 
it was, I saw I saw him in Kentucky, and you know, we there's that guy who you know you and I used to listen to, and now we both feel really bad listening to him because he's like a rapist, mm-hmm. Brian Warner, yeah, yeah, and so um, there's uh this other guy who like sort of scratched the itch but when i saw him live um there was this moment um again just this is on topic in a way but there was this moment where like the 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 security at the festival like pulled him aside and was like hey you need to tell everybody to like chill the fuck out because like people are getting crushed in the crowd and the general climate of like music and artistry and everything at this point is so very much that that person would be like, Hey guys, let's roll family here. Like, let's, you know, make sure everybody can enjoy it. Right. Like that's what you would expect a person to do in, in the climate of art in 2022. This dude goes up to the microphone. He goes, yeah, they just uh, interrupted my fucking set just to tell me that people are getting crushed. Um, so, you know, do with that, whatever you want. And then just goes into the next song. And I was like, damn, I don't know if I feel like that's good or not. Yeah. Like, It is edgy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it's uh, funny. There is a just now as as we're talking about this, I'm thinking like I'm having trouble searching for whatever the version of you know uh, movie actors don't do TV. It's shameful. A listers right. don't do horror. It's shameful. Like I I kind of feel like um, I don't know. Terrible note to end on, but uh, Donald Trump was the president of the United States. Like, just do whatever the fuck you want. Sure. That's sort of where I feel like we live right now. A little bit, a little bit yeah. You, you can just do whatever. Nobody cares about anything anymore. Mm-hmm. Be free. Be free. Rip off Terminator. What are you going to do? It's nice to see Hong Kong rip something off after we steal everything from uh, right. from them. You know, I'm happy uh, happy talking about these movies today. <laughs> All right, um, I have to return some videotapes, so. All right, cool. Yeah, I'll that's see you later. Good. All right, bye. This show brought to you by the executive producers of Double Feature. Arnold Bath would thank the executive producers from the patron, Tom Leonard Kerr, Ross Mahler, Henrik Dinder, Lauren Schul, Ben Acker, Charles Crawford, Jeremy. If you like this show, help to keep it on the air by joining patreon.com forward slash double feature.